I want to start off this uh, morning by echoing what Alex shared as, as we shared the Lord's Prayer together and as we um, talked through the Lord's Prayer and as we prayed that, that there has been a lot of tragedy in our country this week. Um, I think that it's, it's actually odd if the church doesn't acknowledge that. Even though it's not here in Seattle or it may not affect us directly, this is something that we look at and Regardless of all the details, we can clearly all agree, I believe, to this, that this is not the way that it's supposed to be. This is not what God has intended. Um, And we can feel a lot of different emotions, and at the same time, I want to point us to three truths, because we are a people of truth. We're a church of truth. Although we can feel different things, whether we're scared, whether we're anxious, whether we're wondering what's going to happen, ultimately what we can stand on, what we can stand firm on is, is God, because God is truth. And so what we know to be true today, just a few things that I wanted to point us to is that, one, this is not the way that it's supposed to be, that we see lives taken in different ways, in horrible ways, that it's not the way it's supposed to be, and we should acknowledge that. But that God, who is absolutely in control, will make things the way that they are supposed to be in his time, and we can trust in that. Nothing is outside of his control. And finally, what we need more than anything right now as is, is individuals, as is a country, as a world, is to look, at times like these especially, to look to God for wisdom, but not to run to man's wisdom, but to look to God. And as I think about what we're starting today in the book of Proverbs and opening this up over the next eight weeks and looking at this as a summer series, I, I cannot think of a more timely book for us to, to be looking at. And to be interacting with. Because ultimately what we need more than anything, whether it's our day-to-day lives, whether it's as a country, um, whether it's at a church, is we need the wisdom of God. As I was thinking about Proverbs this past week, and I was thinking about us opening up this book and looking over the next eight weeks at different aspects of Proverbs and different topics, as as Alex mentioned, I was thinking back on my life. Uh, my 32 years of existence, and I was thinking about wisdom, but as I thought about that, folly actually came in a lot more. I thought about times in my life when I, when I didn't follow wisdom. One came to mind specifically. Um, I was 16 years old, had just gone to a youth group Super Bowl party in my town in Missouri, and after that, I was going home, and there was a quicker way to get home, and I, and I took this road all the time. But it had snowed, it had iced over, there was a sign that said, do not, clearly, do not take this road when it snows, when there's ice. It's not safe. But I come to that road and I'm like, I'd really like to get home. And so I go out on that road regardless. I know what the smart way is. The smart way is to give the extra three minutes that it's going to take me to get home. I've only been driving for less than a year anyway. But instead, I'm like, you know what? It looks like they've paved this road and it actually looks even safer than it's ever looked. Little did I know there was black ice on the road. It wasn't paved. It was just ice over all the gravel. And so I start heading down this road, and my wheels lock up. I'm going over this short bridge without two guardrails on it, and my two front wheels slide off the front of the bridge. There's rushing water all around. I literally am like, this is it. (laughs) And the wheels go off the front. I'm not kidding. And then I feel the car catch, and there was only one post on this little bridge, and one of my back tires caught it. And so I got out of the car as quick as I could. I'm, I'm freaking out. I start to walk and try to make my way home. My car ends up flipping over into 
the, uh, the rushing water. It completely crushes the top. And as I'm home explaining to my parents what has happened and my folly, a tow truck drives by with the car, and I feel like I see my life flash in front of me because it's completely crushed. So God clearly spared me that day. I'm with you, but I thought about that, and I thought about the fact that we oftentimes in our life, especially day to day, we have choices that we make between wisdom and folly. And that's specifically what we're going to look at today. Here's what I want you to know. We're all on a path. We're all going somewhere. We're all moving. Even if you feel stuck, even if you feel motionless, even if you aren't sure what to do, you're still in motion. And ultimately, day by day, we are coming closer to being wise people or to being foolish people, more wise or more foolish. And God cares about that. He cares about that deeply. That's why Jesus gave himself for us, so that we would not have to walk the way of folly, but we can instead walk the way of wisdom. And so God speaks to us in several different ways throughout the Bible. Alex just mentioned it a couple of minutes ago. Um, throughout the Old Testament, he speaks to us through law. He speaks to us through prophets. But he also speaks to us through wise counsel. He speaks to us through wisdom literature, which is what we're going to get in today. In the book of Proverbs, it was written by King Solomon, who 1 Kings 4, it tells us that he was the wisest man in all the world. God gave him immense wisdom. It says that his wisdom, um, I believe, was like sand on a seashore. Like, this is a smart guy. This is a wise guy. And God used him to put down in paper, in writing, this wisdom, this counsel for us because God loves us. Because he sees us not just as, as things, but he sees us as children. If you have a relationship with Jesus today, you're his child. You're his son or his daughter. And any good parent cares about their sons and their daughters. They don't want to see them go down an icy road and fall off a bridge. They want to see them protected, cared for. Even more than that, they want to see them experience joy. And so God gives us this wisdom literature. And as Crystal read just a minute ago, here's exactly what Proverbs are. Here's its, its specific intent. Let me just read it again real quick. This is the proverb of Solomon, the son of uh, David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction. So he's writing for us to specifically to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so as an introduction to this series, and then we're going to jump into um, kind of our main passage for today, but here's what a proverb is. The Hebrew noun proverb is related to a verb that means to represent or to be like. And every proverb, really what it does is it represents or it points to a model of reality in our day-to-day lives. And so what it says, by picking up a proverb, if you're going to pick it up kind of like a rock and you look at it as a kid, maybe you did that, or you looked at like weird animals, and you look at it and you check it out from all angles, by doing that we can examine what something could be like in our real life, or what something should be like, or a warning that might come in our day-to-day life. And while the world says, here's this important to understand, while the world says just, just live and learn, figure it out as you go, God says learn and live. He says, you don't have to go down that path of folly. In fact, I want to protect you from that. And so why don't you learn from me and then live? And so you can think of a proverb kind of like this way. The Wright brothers, when they flew their first plane in 1903, check this out. They didn't just go out and just say, hey, we built this thing and um, 
you want to check it out and see if it flies? Yeah, let's throw ourselves into the air. Let's hope this thing stays up. And then if it doesn't, well, we've given it a good run. They didn't do that. They actually knew that the plane would fly before they ever took it out. They tested it in wind tunnels, all the different elements, because they didn't want to risk their neck when they actually went to fly. That's a lot of what Proverbs is. It's God saying, hey, check this out in kind of a virtual reality of Proverbs before you actually encounter it or live it out in real day-to-day life. And that's what we're going to experience through Proverbs. And I'm, I'm really excited about this book and what we're going to look at and what we see is that Proverbs are here so that we can explore these real-life situations through this book because God loves us. And in the book, we encounter Jesus as a mentor, as a loving, wise, older brother who deeply cares for us. And through Jesus, we encounter a father who deeply cares for his children because life's complicated and God knows that. Proverbs isn't just a book of hard and fast rules. It's not just a legalistic, moralistic book of hard and fast rules of if you do this, exactly this will happen. It's counsel because life is messy. Life doesn't operate that way with just hard and fast rules. It gets down into the muck with us. It pursues us down to a real level where we need wisdom for, hey, what kind of man or woman should I marry? Which career path should I take? How can I endure this suffering that I can't escape? How should I spend my money? How should I respond to certain people and certain issues? Where should I hold my tongue and where should I speak up? God, what should I do? Proverbs, Christ, comes down in the midst of that and says, let me help you. Let me guide you. And so here's what we're going to, this is what we're going to look at for the next eight weeks. And we're going to begin today by looking at specifically just the issue of wisdom and folly. And then we're going to open up different topics over the next several weeks that are really crucial. And as we go along in this, I want us to be asking this today and then over the next seven weeks, because I think this is a good question. In a world of folly, which it is, what is the path of wisdom? How do I get there? How do I stay there? And I think that's critical. And so let's open this up. We're going to spend most of our time in Proverbs chapter 9. There, there are a decent amount of verses today. I'll tell you that up front. Don't doze off. I'll only get louder in my speaking, but it's going to be good. We're going to introduce some things. And before we look at Proverbs chapter 9, where we're going to spend most of our time, a few minutes this morning, I want us to look a little bit earlier at chapter 8. Because without parts of chapter 8, I don't think we truly understand the heartbeat of God toward us in chapter 9 when he presents us with two choices. And so let's look at this. We're going to pick up in in verse 1 of chapter 8. It's going to be up here on the screen. You can follow along. There's also a Bible in your pew. And if you have a phone, maybe you have an app there. But we're going to to start out in um, chapter 8 here. And the first thing that I want us to understand, I already said it already, but I just want to make the point. This is Christ speaking to us in Proverbs. This is absolutely Christ speaking to us as a wise, seasoned, perfect counselor. But it's really interesting. It's through the writing of Solomon, but Christ takes on the personification of, of a wise woman. Um, I can't tell you exactly why that is. I think it's pretty awesome, but just so you know that. Um, wisdom isn't this lady that we're just like, where's wisdom hanging out? Because it says she's a woman. It's like this part of the, is this the fourth part of the Trinity, wisdom that we don't know about? It's, it's Christ, but being personified as this older, wise, sage, counsel woman. And so in verse one, it starts off, listen as wisdom calls out. Here is understanding raises her voice. On the hilltop along the road, she takes her stand at the crossroads. By the gates at the entrance of the town, on the road leading in, she cries aloud. I love how this starts out because here's what it tells us. Christ does not retreat to a temple or a monastery. He doesn't just hang out and says, hey, just come find me. 
You know what Christ does? He pursues. He goes down into the city. He cries aloud. He comes after us. He comes to the masses. He points us to truth. He points us to wisdom. He rubs shoulders with us in our day-to-day. And then it says that wisdom is standing there at the crossroads. This crossroads, it's this idea of standing where the world is competing for our hearts. Wisdom is there. In your day-to-day, the world is constantly competing for your heart, for your affections, for how you spend your time or don't spend your time, for how many Netflix shows you watch or if you actually go spend time with family and people, for how you spend your money, for how you invest, for what you look at, for what you don't. Wisdom is standing there at the crossroads, trying to cry aloud, it says, so that you would go the way of wisdom and not the way of folly. And you'll notice this. It says wisdom calls out. This is with a loud voice. She raises her voice. Is that God isn't whispering. We're going to go out and we're going to have ice cream sandwiches after this. But as we go out there, here's what I would tell you. If you're out there and you're hanging out and you noticed that a small child was about to walk out into the street, chances are you're not going to whisper, hey, come back here. Like, come back here. You are going to cry out with a loud voice, and you're going to go and pursue that child. Why? Because you care, because there's too much on the line. And for God, he's crying out to us with wisdom because there's too much on the line. And he cares about all of your life. He cares about how you do the smallest things to the greatest things, to the smallest decisions you make, to the greatest decision of choosing him or not choosing him, following him or not following him. He cares about it all. It's this idea of a big brother pleading with us, Saying, hey, don't do that. Don't go that way. It's going to lead to death. Hey, guys, don't get on the computer and look at that site. I know you might not think it's a big, a big deal, but it's going to lead to death. It's going to destroy your marriage. It's going to destroy future relationships. Hey, sisters, don't store up hatred in your heart toward her or that or say this or that. It's going to tear up relationships. It's going to destroy that. It's going to lead to death. Hey, I know that you can take those shortcuts maybe at work or the way that you lead people or maybe you could kind of fudge on this or cheat on that, but don't do it. It's going to be destructive. This is wisdom crying out to us because God cares so much. And so who is Christ pleading with here? Who is wisdom pleading with? Is it only the good people? Is it only the religious people? Here's what it says. To you, O men, I call in my cries to the children of man. O simple ones, learns prudence. O fools, learn sense. Jesus wants to engage everyone. Jesus wants to engage the fools that make mistakes, that have messy lives. And what he offers is amazing here. He says, Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination in my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Christ gives us two commands here in this passage. And the first one is this. He says, hear. Will you hear? Will you have an open ear? I don't know about you, but for me personally, I often speak before I listen. You can ask Laura. She'll affirm that. But what Christ is saying is hear. Have an open ear. Because what I'm saying is completely true, and it's completely righteous, and it's completely excellent. There is nothing hidden or tricky or manipulative 
in the Bible. But the challenge for us can be that when Christ speaks, it's sometimes he's very straightforward and blunt because he cares that much. But our challenge is, do we really want to listen? Are we willing to humble ourselves to listen? Because what it's saying here is that wisdom is open to those who are open. Wisdom is open to those who are willing to listen. And he gives the second command in verse 10 here. He says, take my instruction instead of silver instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. So he says first, hear, and then he says, take. And this word take, he says we have to choose we have to choose where we are going to take, what we are going to take and grab hold of and not let go of it. We can't have both. He says, take my instruction. Take my instruction instead of silver. It's an either or choice because here's the truth. And you gotta know this. Don't be fooled. Whatever we take will take us. Whatever you take is gonna take you. If you take foolishness, foolishness is gonna take you. If you take Christ, Christ is gonna take you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to end up controlling our lives. The Bible constantly talks about this. It talks about this specifically, even we're going to talk about money in the future, but the love of money. That you can't love God and money because one is going to take us and one's, one we're not going to follow. And so here's what this says here. And in Proverbs 9, which now we're going to spend the rest of our time in, we're confronted with that choice. What are we going to take? What are we going to follow? What are we going to choose? And so this passage, it portrays two houses on either side of the street. And on one side, a house stands open with an elegant lady named Wisdom, hiding us in. But on the other side of the road, another house stands open with a seductive lady named Folly, who is also inviting us in. And which will we turn? Now, the right answer, quote-unquote right answer, is easy. But if we're being honest, and you just think about the right answer. Sometimes we believe that if we just know the right answer, that that's enough. If we just know the right thing, if we just search for what's, what's right, that that's good enough. But the reality is it's not. Oftentimes our lives, we're swaying between both houses. We're going and we're visiting both houses. I'm sure that you can think back in your life. You can think two times where you're like, yeah, could have, I could have chose wisdom and I chose folly. Or you can even think to a situation maybe going on right now. Maybe it's a really hard situation because you find yourself in a place of folly. But Christ is here in the midst of that, and he is inviting us in to the place of wisdom. A safe place, a loving place, a caring place. And so this house of wisdom, let me get this up here for us. That's what we're going to look at first. This house of wisdom, here's what it says. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. This is a beautiful picture of Christ as a wealthy and wise friend who has thought of everything that we need and provided it to the full. He's built the house. This idea of seven pillars, this idea of perfection. He knows everything that you need. Right now, as you sit right here, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, no matter what's on your mind, no matter what you're struggling with, Christ absolutely knows what you need. It's not a surprise to him. It's not a surprise to him. He is not meeting you in your circumstance as much as you are meeting him because he's already there. And so the idea here is that Christ has already built the house. It's already prepared. It's perfection. He knows absolutely everything you need. He is the greatest expert in the universe on you. 
and he knows how to build your life far better than you ever will. And he's saying, will you enter into this house? It says, she has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. I love this. There's no scraps here, right? This is a legitimate feast. This is the best. This has been well prepared. You're not just going in and like eating Cheetos and like half-eating donuts and stuff. And it's like, God's like, I'm just going to give you some scraps. God's saying, no, I've prepared this banquet for you to feast on. And I'm inviting you in. Slaughtered, slaughtered the beasts, meaning I prepared this meat. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. I've mixed this wine. When you say mixed wine, you're like, oh, is he watering down the wine? No, mixing in spices to make it even better because this is an amazing feast that he invites us into. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Wisdom, so really Christ himself is sending out messengers into the world to invite more and more people into this banquet. Wisdom is bold and wisdom is public. Wisdom pursues. It cares deeply about people. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, we are now his messengers going out and declaring, hey, turn in here. Turn in here. Don't go there. Turn in here. I mean, that's what we should be doing in our day-to-day lives as we interact with people at Green Lake. Even though we may just be having what seem like just normal conversations, which they are, in, in the deepest area of our heart, we should be saying, what can I do to show them Jesus? How can I, in the way that I live, in the things that I say, in the way that I treat them, how can I point them to safety in the house of wisdom? How can I point them to a God who loves them and who doesn't want them to walk in folly? That's the idea here, is that we have been pursued to Christ. Now we are also pursuing. But Christ is speaking through us, just as he was speaking through, figuratively here, these women who are going out, and they're declaring, hey, turn in here because you need this. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. And if you're not walking into the house of wisdom, I guarantee you're going to stumble into the house of folly. In, this, this is awesome, too. It says, it, did, I don't know if you notice this here, whoever is simple. This is great. Anyone can join this party. It's awesome. It's not just for the elite. It's not just for those in power. It's not just for those with enough money, with enough standing, with enough prominence. It's for fools. It's for anyone. It's this invitation for everyone to join the party, whoever is simple. This idea of repentance, not just turning from sin, but turning to Jesus. That's what we see here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread, drink of my wine that I have mixed. Leave the company of the simple and live and walk in the way of insight. What kind of banquet is this? Sounds like an awesome banquet. What kind of banquet is it really? This is what's cool. It's a banquet of grace. It's a banquet of grace. That's what God's talking about here. It's a grace offered to fools who don't deserve it. To foolish people. To us. We were walking our own way. We're walking the way of folly. But Christ came and he intervenes. And he says, you no longer have to go that way. You can enter into this house and it's far better. I know everything about you. I know everything about your life. I know exactly what I, what I have for you, what I want for you. I love you. You're my children. And I want you to enter in to this banquet of grace. I want you to feast on my grace. And, and the beauty here is that we did not have to suffer the payment or try to pay for this grace. Christ paid dearly for this on the cross, but it's something that's offered freely 
to us. The only price we pay that it says here, that you'll notice, is leave the company of the simple. Why is that there? It's because Christ is creating a new community of wisdom. A good example of this is music. If you think about music, music can bring people together. I, I, I wasn't old enough for Woodstock, but I've seen um, documentaries, watched a lot of those. Talk about music bringing people together. Insane. It still does it. I've seen your guys' pictures hanging out at Marymore Park, listening to all kinds of music. You get stoked on it. It's awesome. It brings people together. It's a good time. Music also divides. Some people aren't into the same music. Here's what I know for sure. My mom was not into listening to the Beastie Boys and Dr. Dre with me in high school. Like, it was just not, it was not her jam. That was not what she was into. And I wasn't just into listening to, like, Johnny Mathis and, and the, um, I can't think of their name, Gaithers, this Christian um, old school in the South. If it's your jam, that's awesome. But here's the thing. That was something that we were, we were not together on. We were, we were pretty divided on that. We had very different tastes, and we would, we would not come together on that. Now, that's just a fun example, but here's the reality, is that Christ has called us not to disconnect with our communities. And, and that's a mistake that we can make here. That is not what this is saying. When it says, leave the counsel of the simple, or leave the simple, he is not saying, disconnect with your communities, go live outside of your communities, and just leave them to their own devices. That's not what he's saying. We know that because he's called us to be missionaries wherever we are. But what he's saying is, because you have been redeemed, you are now walking in newness of life. You're walking differently. You're walking in insight. You're following me now. You're not following that. And so we don't disconnect and stop loving. We absolutely continue to love and continue to point people toward Jesus, but we're no longer walking in the way of folly. We're walking in the way of wisdom. And that's a great reminder for us as a community and as a church to constantly be looking out for one another, to be pointing one another toward wisdom because we know the truth of wisdom which is found in Christ. So that's the way of wisdom. It's an invitation into this amazing banquet of grace that Jesus offers freely, but here's the way of folly. It says, starting in verse 13, The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. I mean, this is, a, this is honestly, this is a picture of our world today. Folly. Folly. You'll see it everywhere, all around. And the Bible defines folly in some different ways. It can either be wickedness, it could be silliness, it can be stupidity, it can be egotism, it can be foolishness. I mean, we were eating, we were hanging out the other day in my, my new neighborhood up the street in Tangletown, and um, Alex and I and, and Ryan, we went to this place called Burgundian. I don't know if you guys have been there. This is nothing against Burgundian, so let me say this first. But we looked at a picture on the, uh, on the wall, or not a picture, sorry, man, um, a shirt on the wall, and it had the saying, it, it said the definition for Burgundian, and here's, here's what it said, one who indulges in delights and earthly pleasures. And I was like, man, that sounds like a pretty good definition of folly, right there. Now here's what I will say, it would be folly not for you to eat their chicken and waffles, because they are awesome, and so go check out Go check out Burgundian. Go eat there. Treat the servers really well. Go say hey to Alex who works there. That's awesome. But as we were looking at that, I was like, yeah, that's actually a pretty good definition of what we see in our world. 
trying to take the easy way, indulging in whatever we can. Like I said at the beginning, you know, live and learn, see what happens, kind of roll the dice, take the easy road, cheat when you can, get what you can. I mean, that's really what folly is saying. It's yelling out to us. It says the same instructions, which we need to be cautious of. It says the same instructions. Turn in here if you're simple. The exact same thing, but it offers something far different. Here's what it does. Folly, you'll notice, it just sits there. It sits there because we are prone to folly. We were created sinful. I mean, we, were, we, we have entered into this world sinful, and we're prone to folly. We don't need for folly to yell out to us, hey, come in here. We just go in. That's why Christ is yelling out, don't go there. But folly just sits there because it knows that we're prone to just walk that way. And it sits there and it yells out, but here's what it offers. Nothing's put together here. It says that it sits and it offers, instead of meat and wine, it says that folly offers us bread and water. It just offers, it offers scraps. But it looks better than that. And folly makes false claims of what she offers. It says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. And if we're being really honest today, it's hard to probably admit, but we've, walk, we've walked down that road more than we'd like to admit where we take part in the easy way, where we go the easy path. There are entire companies in our, in our world dedicated just to folly. Folly says, hey, you're bored in your marriage? Go have an affair over here. Hey, if you, if you, if you don't have what you want, figure out a way to kind of swindle it and take it. You know, uh, you, don't need to, you don't need to do that. You don't need to work for that. You don't need, you don't need to walk that path. You can just go this easy road right over here. Folly is saying, when you're anxious, when you're anxious, don't, don't deal with that anxiety. Just, man, I've got alcohol for you over here. You can deal with that. It offers things that do not satisfy. And ultimately, here's what it says, is that it leads to death. We enter in, and we do not realize that the dead are there, and her guests are literally in hell. Folly can take part in our day-to-day, but even in a greater way, it can literally lead us to hell. The separation from God if we don't accept him. But folly is truthful at one point in what it says here. Stolen water is sweet to us. And, and that is true for a little while. Stolen water is sweet to us until we realize it doesn't really satisfy. And that it actually makes us sick. In a uh, uh, theologian, his name's August, Augustine, he wrote once about this how he stole something, not because he needed it, he actually had plenty of it, because, but because the opportunity to steal it was actually exciting to him. And so he did it, and he took it, and he was really honest with his emotions here and with who he was and his heart, and so he wrote this. He says, such was my heart, O God, such was my heart. You had pity on me when it was at the bottom of the abyss. It is foolish for us to not realize that we all have a taste for sin and folly. So what do we do then? Uh, when we came home from Tennessee this past week, we had a, um, an Uber driver who took us from the airport. And um, we, get, we got into a conversation, and he actually, um, he had asked Laura, he said, so, so you're a teacher? Because he overheard her talking to someone else that we gave a ride. And she said yes. And um, he had explained how he was also working a job at a restaurant, but he had become really upset with the managers, the new managers. And so he had about 12 tables on a Friday afternoon at about noon, 
And once he loaded up those tables and put all the orders in, he's like, that's when I knew I'm leaving. And he left. He just walked out. And, and I was like, oh, man. He's like, yeah, I showed them. Um, and I was like, yeah, you did. Uh, and, then, and then he asked this, which always is the question that gets asked. He says, so what do you do? And I'm like, and I was like, I'm a pastor. This dude's like, oh my goodness, pastor, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, man, I'm just as jacked up as you are. I just, I'm just not working the restaurant job right now. And, and we got in this conversation, and he's asking, what do you believe, and what do you think? And, and here's, ultimately, his worldview was this. He's like, I just try to, not on that day where we walked out of the restaurant, but he's like, uh, days when I get up, he's like, I just, I just think that I should just try to just do the right thing and try to go to bed with a clear conscience. Like, just, just do the right thing. He's like, that's what I believe in life. I've been a part of several different religions and beliefs, but I, I think if you just do the right thing. And we talked more, but as I was thinking about that, I was like, man, do the right thing. It's a, it's a good idea. And you could easily look at Proverbs and just take it and say, okay, it's just about doing the right thing, but it's, it's not just about that. There's something much more to that. It's about this wisdom, Christ, going down deeply into our hearts and souls, not just so that we do the right thing like somebody following rules, but so, so that our hearts are transformed to where we hunger and thirst for the banquet of God's grace. And that's why we run to the right thing. That's why we run the path of wisdom, not just because we have to or because we're trying to follow hard and fast rules, but because we have a new hunger for this banquet and we don't want the old stale bread and water anymore that the world will offer you every single day. But instead, we want the meat and wine that Christ offers us through his blood, through his sacrifice, into his house. So how do we avoid folly and walk in the way of wisdom? There's only one way. We hear the gospel and we hear it again. That Jesus loves us. That Jesus loves you. Not the rehabilitated, not the cleaned up, not the person you wish you were, but the real you. Jesus loves you. And we humble ourselves to Jesus and we humble ourselves to his ways. And I love how, just, just listen to this. I love the way that chapter 8, which we were in before, how it ends. Listen to these verses just real quick. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting besides my, beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself All who hate me love death. We all have histories. You all have histories. We all have scrapes, bruises, and scars. We all have things in our past that we wish were not a part of our past. We all have things that we struggle with that we wish we didn't struggle with. We all have areas of folly which we fall into more than we'd like to admit. And what Jesus is offering is wisdom. We all have a bunch of scars and some botched surgeries that we've tried to do on ourselves because we've tried to fix ourselves. But Christ is offering something far different. He comes down and he deals with the real you, where you really are, messy and all, born into guilt, complicated life. And he comes down and he says, I know the real you. I know what you wrestle with. I know what you struggle with, but I want to help the real you you right where you are, and I offer you wisdom. And to affirm this, here's what's beautiful and it's amazing. You see it at the end of this chapter here in verse 8. 
he changes our name. That even though we may have areas of folly in our life, he cares about us so much he has changed our names. We are no longer defined, if we are in Christ, we're no longer defined by our folly, by our foolishness, but we are now sons and daughters with full rights to the family and full inheritance of grace. And that's amazingly good news because our hearts are prone to go the route of folly until God transforms them and leads us into the way of wisdom. God tells us and reminds us who we now are in Christ, that regardless of your past, you have a future. It makes the wise choice in chapter 9 not only possible, but joyous. Again and again, God looks you in the eye and calls you his beloved in whom he is well pleased for the sake of Christ. The Bible says God is treating you as sons, and that includes daughters in Hebrews 12, not as losers. The Bible says Christ is not ashamed to call us his brothers. Christ says you are no longer defined by your failures and follies, but by my grace. And on the cross, that's exactly what Christ enabled. He went with full wisdom to save sinners full of folly, laying down his perfect life, picking up our broken life. And through his sacrifice, we can not only experience forgiveness, but joyful freedom to choose wisdom, no longer as enemies of God, but as sons and daughters. C.S. Lewis wrote to a friend, he said, you write too much about your own sin. Beware lest humility should pass over into anxiety or sadness. It is bidden us to rejoice and always rejoice. Jesus has canceled the handwriting which was against us. Lift up your hearts. The greatest form of wisdom is accepting your need for Jesus, and the greatest form of folly is thinking that you're good without him. His love creates your wise choice moment by moment and keeps us from folly. So look up to him in faith. See his love for you right now. Hear it, take it, and hold on to it.